Hello, everybody. Chris Martinson here. And today we're going to be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hello, everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson here with you with another episode of Finance University. Uh, listen, everybody needs to understand what's going on out there in the financial world. Today, we're going to be discussing derivatives. Warren Buffett called them weapons of mass financial destruction. Are they? There's a lot of confusion about them. As usual, I'm going to break this topic down to make it easy to understand. And you do need to understand it because... Well, these things are going to create a big problem for us eventually. So let's go there and start this presentation. How about this? Yes. Warren Buffett. Now, why did he say this? Warren Buffett said this about derivatives because he bought a company called um, General Ray, a reinsurance company, and then had this derivatives portfolio and he didn't really like it, but he said, you know what? We'll buy the company. We'll unwind it. See what happens. And it took them forever. And so why was that? Well, because of all the derivatives that were in that portfolio were so complex, so interconnected, so nested that even though they wanted to get rid of them and it was just one company's worth created huge problems leading to him to famously say that derivatives are weapons of financial mass destruction. Now, this is what the Fed says here. So, you know, so a reader asked, uh, and by the way, it's interesting. It's the best picture they could take of that guy. Um, Nice pick. Uh, this is a, this is a, a Federal Reserve official here and said, yes, uh, derivatives, are, you know, are financial weapons of mass destruction. Uh, firms and individual investors um, can lose a lot of money very quickly. Uh, that's you sure can. But he says uh, you can also uh, lose everything you invest in a single day in stocks and bonds. Not so much. Um, uh, <laughs> that's a very bad day. If it is fire and brimstone, get your ammo out, uh, for, for, um, for that matter, any other kind of asset, uh, losing, including your house or car or, or painting can decline rapidly in value too. Yet the vast majority of derivatives traders and end users do not complain <laughs> either because, uh, the contracts are useful in hedging risks or because they have consciously chosen to speculate using derivatives makes it sound pretty normal. And Oh God, people like these things. They like derivatives because you know, they, uh, uh they, they know the risks they're getting into. Uh, he's really downplaying it here. Derivatives can cause immediate rapid, very, very, uh, massive destruction because of what they are and how they're built. You need to understand them so that you can understand the risks of the world in which you live. So let's take a look. What are, what, what, what's a derivative? You know what? A derivative is a contract. It's that's it. It's literally a contract, a derivative. You and I could write a derivative contract with each other. What's a contract? Well, you know what a contract is. It's a bunch of words on a page. It is a legal document. It is a lot of lawyerly contracty language that rests on case law and certain definitions, right? So a derivative, according to Investopedia is a type of financial contract whose value is dependent on an underlying asset, a group of assets or a benchmark, or, or I might say, 
um, an event. So a, con- a derivative can be written about anything. You and I could write a derivative contract that basically, like a futures contract, that would say, in three years, on Tuesday, March 3rd, the temperature is going to be 58 degrees in New York City. And you might say it's going to be higher, and I might say it's going to be lower, and we would agree on an amount of money that would have to change hands depending on who won the bet. Because that's what derivatives really are. They're bets. Lots of different types of derivatives. There's futures contract. I just described one. There's futures contract when you hear about people trading gold or silver or oil or corn or wheat. Those are all traded on futures contracts, meaning you and I might come together and bet on the price of corn in six months from now in the future. So we would arrange a futures bet. I think it's going to be more than $5 a bushel. You think it's going to be less. You sell me the contract. I buy it. If it's above five, I win. If it's below five, I lose. That's a futures contract. There are forwards. There are options. A lot of people know about options when you buy a put or a call option or sell a put or a call option on stocks, for instance, or bonds. And then there's swaps. Swaps are a big part of this where we swap the interest rate risk. Let's say I have an intro, I have a mortgage right now at, at um, let's say, prevailing rates, and the prevailing rate is 7.5%. We're going to swap that out in the future because I think interest rates are going to keep going up. You think they're going to go down, so we swap the, the over-under on that. We swap the interest cost or expense or risk. Really, that's what we're doing. We're just swapping the risk. So derivatives are tied to some kind of underlying asset or event, right? So a derivative could be tied to stocks or to bonds or commodities, market indices, interest rates, cryptocurrencies, whatever. The temperature, the outcome of a sports game, they could be anything. So really they're just they're just bets. They're lots of bets, big bets, but they're bets. And the idea is that they are tied to, they derive their value, derive, derive, derivative. A derivative derives its value from an underlying asset. So the derivative itself is the bet, it's a legal document. And then there's an asset under there. So we might be betting. Is the price of oil going to go up or down? Is the stock market going to go up or down? Is an individual share of a stock going to go up or down? So that's what the bets are all about. Now, uh, it could also be a bet on an event. Remember from the movie, The Big Short, and we're talking about credit defaults and the credit default swap, a credit default swap is where it's a derivative product, which serves as a form of insurance against the default of an underlying borrower or a debt instrument. So you might think to yourself, you know, just recently we work, the company went out of business. They had a lot of debt outstanding. They had bonds. So if I was holding a corporate bond in WeWork and it had a, it was a million dollars worth of their bond, I might say, I don't want to lose my million if they go out of business. So I would go out and buy a credit default swap. I would swap the risk with you or somebody else, another party. And if WeWork goes bust and these bonds get written down by 90%, you would owe me the 90% on that. So we're insuring the underlying default risk. Now I've just indicated something that's actually probably a reasonably legitimate hedge, but what about this? Could I buy a default swap on WeWork bonds, even though I don't own any? Yes. Can I sell a default swap even though I don't own any? Yes. Here's the fun part. In order to bet on whatever this underlying asset is, you don't have to have any of it or even an interest in it. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. That's the world we live in right now. Now, this is from the movie The Big Short. Selena Gomez was sitting there at the uh, 
uh, blackjack table. And it's a really great scene. The whole movie, The Big Short, is really awesome. But what she does here is she's betting. She's got a pretty good hand. You know, the dealer's showing a seven. She's showing an eight. There's an 83% chance that she's going to win that hand. And the way they set the scene up is just genius. There's all these people in the background. She's got 10 million bet on the table. All those people in the background, one bets 50 million that she's going to win the bet. And another says, I'll bet you 200 million that that person loses that bet. And, and there's all this, there could be a trillion dollars worth of bets riding on a single $10 million worth of bet. There's no limit could be however many bets. So, but the point is that they captured so perfectly, a derivative is really a bet and it's a bet on another bet. It's risk on top of risk. There's a risk that she's going to lose this hand. And then other people are taking risks on top of that risk, trying to leverage it all out and control the risk. Now, that's how derivatives really work. So how many of them are there? Like, this is important. How many are there? A lot. So here, uh, Ellen Brown, a great analyst writing the looming quadrillion dollar derivative tsunami. That's one estimate. Here's another um, that... Uh, Egon uh, von Greyers, another great analyst in uh, 2021, it looked like when they added it up at the BIS, Bank of International Sediments, there was $2.3 quadrillion dollars worth of these bets outstanding. Uh, it's a big number. How much is a quadrillion? Well, it's a thousand trillion, right? So a million is a thousand thousand, a thousand millions is a billion, a thousand billions is a trillion. In a thousand trillions is a quadrillion. It's a big number. Nobody knows how big it is. I don't even know what that means. So it's some kind of a really big number, but what does that mean? Like, is that really a big deal as a lot of people make it sound? So let's break it down. Look at it at a level. I hope we can sort of entertain some understanding. First, there are, according to the office of the comptroller of the currency, that's the OCC and the Treasury Department, so that you can see the link down there, occ.treasury.gov, they put out this publication every quarter, which talks about the derivatives that are outstanding, and it's bank trading and derivatives. I love the report. I look at it all the time. So Table 17, they note here that just the four largest banks in the U.S., which is uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and Citibank and Bank of America, just those four have on their books $221 trillion dollars worth of these derivatives on their books. And I put the exclamation point in parens because it's like, oh no, people will often point this out and say, hey, look, that, that's just ridiculous. 221 trillion. It's just doesn't make any sense. It's going to, could wipe out the world. Well, kind of maybe yes, maybe no. And there's a little subtlety we have to go into to understand this. That is the value, the notional value of those derivatives. So let's put it this way. Let's say you have a $10 million stock portfolio. And stocks never go to zero, like what that Fed official said. And you might want to insure that stock portfolio. So you would buy $10 million worth of what are called put options from me, because that would be the value of that would be protecting your $10 million. But the amount you would actually have to pay me for those might be $10,000, right? Whatever, depending on how the markets are that day. And the total amount at risk wouldn't be your whole 10 million, which would be the notional value of this. The total amount at risk would be how much could stocks realistically actually probably go down in the time frame, the window over which my put option that I sold to you would apply. It'll have some time frame on it. It might be, you might buy a put option for a day, a week, a month, a year, right? 
So whatever, it's but it's not going to zero. So the whole 10 million is never on the hook, really, unless stocks really went to zero. And then I would have a $10 million problem on my hand. So at any rate, that's the notional value. But the other value we have to talk about is the net gross value, which means but it, what's really at risk here? And there's complicated models and nobody really knows sometimes, but let's take them at their word. So the gross fair values are much, much, much smaller for these. Now, these numbers are all in millions of dollars. So let me see. Let me put this up here. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. You see this millions of dollars right there. So um, when you see a number like like that 221 million, that's 221 million million, 221 million million, a million million is a trillion. Um, all right. So you can see here that these big companies, well, wait a minute. That's a little, it's a little small. Let me zoom in. Here we go. So we have here the gross credit pot credit derivative is gross positive fair value, a gross negative fair value in this row over here column. And then we see here that across these top four banks, all of them net out here, all four of the top banks combined balance out to when you add or subtract the put these two numbers together, the gross negative fair value and the gross positive fair value. There's just, according to the big banks, they only have minus $756 million of net exposure out of 221 trillion. Dude, that is some mighty fine balancing going on there. Let's hope they got it right. Now here's the thing. They probably do more or less have it right. Derivatives have been running for a while, but they only have it right. They only have it right. If it turns out that nothing really goes out of parameter, because you have your gross positive you got your gross negative, but let's imagine one of these two columns blows out. Cause, Oh, I don't know. Interest rates suddenly spike really, really high. A whole bunch of companies suddenly go out of business in a given sector. That is, there is a fire, a forest fire in an area where you've insured a lot of houses. Now, all of a sudden, all this hedging and spreading of risk doesn't work so well because you can risk. It's kind of like insurance that works really well. If one house out of a thousand burns down every year, but doesn't work so well if all thousand houses burn down that year. It's insurance that works until you really need it. And that gets to the substance of our issue here. So looking back at this again, here's the deal. So what's the problem with all these derivatives then if they all net out and everything? Here's what Warren Buffett had to say about this. He said, quote, emphasizing a warning he gave last summer when he described derivatives as weapons of mass destruction Mr. Buffett said a major event such as a cyber attack that shut down the financial markets would trigger enormous gaps in things you thought might be protected by collateral. He said, quote, I regard very large derivative positions as dangerous. We inherited a modest sized position at Berkshire's reinsurance vehicle, GenRay, in a benign market, and we lost about $400 million just trying to unwind it with no pressure on us whatsoever. He's saying that the markets were calm. Nothing was really blowing up. Imagine a world where that forest fire is sweeping through and everybody's trying to, um, you know, unwind their positions all at once. That's called a Lehman moment. He said, carrying on, by the way, the accountants blessed that big derivative position as being worth a lot of money. It had a positive value. They were only off by what? A few hundreds of millions, he says, um, added in Charlie Munger, the vice chairman of Berkshire. So, so when we see that all four banks are reporting to the government that when you add up all of their derivatives, that it, they it just magically balance out to almost being dead flat. 
take that with a grain of salt, according to the man who only had to unwind a relatively modest sized portfolio and discovered 400 millions of losses they didn't know were in there. Now, again, derivatives are contracts. That's all they are. It's just a big pile of paper with a bunch of words on it. It says, here's what you have to do. Here's what I have to do. Here are the terms. Here are the trigger points. Here are the payments. Here's how much we have to hold in, in margin. It, it would just, it's just a document. It explains stuff. It'd be like a mortgage contract. And this is what I imagine the derivative position of a single large bank might look like. This is going to be, all, or the, you know, the electronic equivalent, but it would just be boxes and boxes and boxes of contracts or file after file after file after file in a computer. And every one of those contracts is not a boilerplate thing. They're pretty complicated. They might have multiple counterparties in there. It might have multiple conditions. It might have different parameters. It's going to be basically a very complicated legal document that's going to take a little while to resolve. Now, the complaint I have, the complaint I have is because you've insured your $10 million portfolio of stocks with me, you sit back and go, you know, since I can't lose that and I still have upside protection, I'm going to bet that I can only, you know, have more money coming out of, you know, the stock market towards me. So I guess, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a boat, spend more on a vacation, you know, put less away for my kid's college. You're going to make decisions because you think you've offloaded the risk to me. Okay, fine. Probably did. But what happens if there's a big market clearing event? It's one of these things that Warren Buffett's worrying about. And all of a sudden you come to me for your $10 million for your portfolio. And I'm like, I haven't got it. I just, it blew up. I did not think it was going to be that bad. My bad, but I don't have that money. And oh, it's in an LLC on the offshore in Cayman's Islands. You can't touch it anyway. Oh, there's $10 in the bank account. Whatever the story is, all of a sudden you find out that that risk you thought you had transferred to somebody else was only as good as the counterparty in this story. And the counterparty wasn't good for it. That's a very common experience. That's called the Lehman moment. They never want to get back there again. In part two of this for my subscribers, I'm going to be describing exactly this in more detail because that's what I do for my subscribers. Go into even more detail to explain why I think that risk is so dangerous right now and which banks in particular are going to be the most exposed to that. So people act, however, as if derivatives just shoot risk into outer space, you know, never to be seen again. And that's not what happens. Risk can neither be created nor destroyed in this world. I mean, risk can only can only be spread around a little bit. Now, this is what I did write to my subscribers last week when we were discussing derivatives, which made me think, you know, I probably ought to bring this out, this conversation out to the wider world because it's important conversation to have. So I wrote here, uh, obviously, if you get a cascading series of domino defaults, it's a problem, right? This is exactly why they froze the CDS paper market during the 2008 meltdown. Right? Not only didn't the big banks want to pay off the scrappy little hedge funds that were featured in the movie The Big Short, but they were worried about setting off a systemic disaster, a cascading cross-default scenario. I can't pay you, so you can't pay the next person who can't pay the next person, and the dominoes just fall, right? That's the main complaint I have about the system of derivatives, is that it does something really dumb. It acts as if risk has been somehow shot into outer space. That's not a thing. Risk doesn't go away because you spread it out. It merely gets spread out. Risk cannot be eliminated, only diluted, which means ultimately that you have more risk-taking behavior and therefore derivatives actually promote the accumulation of more risk, not less. 
But everybody acts within their own portfolios and on their own balance sheets like the risk has entirely disappeared. Poof, there's only 756 million of exposure across all four big banks, $221 trillion of derivatives. Right. Uh, for them, it might have, but it can't be true for everybody as a group because where did it go? Where'd the risk go? I submit it's still there waiting for the right moment to suddenly reconcentrate and wipe out various participants, possibly in a cascade of defaults. It will be exceptionally messy as we discover where the risk was actually hiding and who was holding the bag. In the end, though, it's always good to remember this, that a derivative is a legal document. It is a fat sheaf of papers that sits in a folder. It's an agreement that falls under contract law. So any messy meltdown becomes a protracted expensive and endless payday for lawyers and a long one. It takes take years to resolve this thing, right? So I think Twain said it best. Of course, he said, it ain't what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And I connect that to this by this because I consider derivatives to be a form of insurance that works beautifully until you actually really need it. And then we find out you can't have you can't have insured the whole system. It doesn't work that way. If the whole system runs into a big hiccup, it, the derivative contracts just don't work. So I can form this into a rule. Risk cannot be eliminated by spreading it out. It still exists. And the corollary to that is that the more people spread that risk around, the more risk will actually accumulate across the entire system. Because everybody feels safe. I don't have a risk. You don't have a risk on your $10 million stock portfolio. You've shared that risk to me. I spread it off to somebody else. They have it now on and on and on. And that's how this thing is supposed to be working. And it works and it works until it doesn't work. And we're going to get to that stage soon where it doesn't work. So what you need, you know, when you positively need a resolution right now, right? <laughs> I, listen, I don't care that uh, this derivative contract on you blew up. I need payment for my part of that today, because I got people screaming at me, right? Derivatives claims are going to be fought out in courtrooms for decades. And the question here is, has the fuse actually been lit on a weapon of mass financial destruction? Here in goldbroker.com, they, they put it this way. They said that global debt plus liabilities, debt plus liabilities, plus derivatives, 2.5 quadrillion dollars. So that's $300 trillion of global debt, one and a half trillion dollars by their estimate of derivatives, unfunded liabilities of another 500 trillion. You add it all up and it's a big old number, 2.3 trillion. So yes, the fuse has been lit. That's what's happened here. And I'm going to go into exactly the risks that they impose and do all of that back at Peak Prosperity for my subscribers. We're going to go into a lot of detail. If you're a detail person, you're going to love this. If not, uh, hopefully you got something out of this. Derivatives are a big thing. The, the notional number, not really important. What really matters is the actual value at risk. When we look at that, that number depends on everything being smooth. So we're entering a period of market instability right now, creaking and popping noises where things are definitely not stable. And because of that, with sharply rising interest rates and sudden gyrations and big currency markets and things like that that are happening today, there's an unknowable effect happening under the surface in the derivatives markets. And that's where I believe we're going to discover that it was a really dumb idea to allow them to get so large and so pervasive, and it's going to create a real firestorm in the future. So with that cheery note, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Be sure, whatever you do, 
protect your wealth as best you possibly can. And we'll, t- we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world, understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle, so it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.